The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. You know, Jen told me that, that last Sunday, our uh, four-year-old granddaughter, Brenna's daughter, was, was sitting on her lap while I was preaching. And she was talking to Jen while I was preaching. And Jen said, now, Amelia, shh, let's listen to what Papa is saying. couple minutes go by and she looks up at Jen and says, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> so, my goal this morning is that you won't say, I have no idea what he's talking about. And if you do end up having no idea what I'm talking about, I'd be happy to talk with you later um, and explain myself to you. Uh, let's pray. <laughs> Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing each person here this morning, both in person and online. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our certain, undeniable hope in you. Thank you for calling us and connecting us within your church. I ask that you would bless, that you would strengthen our faith in you, that that you would build relationships here that you would equip us to, to speak into each other's lives, to remind each other of, of the certain hope that we have so that we might be useful instruments in your hands. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think I came up with the title accidentally. Um, we live in uncertain times. And as soon as I say that, I think... Well, who hasn't? Um, Who hasn't lived in uncertain times? We're not God. We're not in control. And so let's begin by recognizing that uncertainty is a universal problem that exists for all of humanity. As Pastor Bill said, you know, your situation is not uniquely more difficult than anyone else's. And this uncertainty about our circumstances, it, it makes us anxious. I want to think about what anxiety is and how Jesus comes alongside and helps us. text is going to be Matthew 6. And, um, well, many of us, it's, it's interesting how we comfort ourselves when it comes to anxiety. Many of us will comfort ourselves simply by pointing out that things could be worse and that our circumstance is not as bad as so-and-so's or those people on the other side of the globe or people in that time period within Earth's history. Uh, And we comfort ourselves that way. People tend to cope this way. But this is not the counsel that Jesus gives us. This does not get to the root of our problem. It's only a distraction, really. It's a distraction that any unbeliever might use. While our faith, our Savior, gives us real, real and helpful counsel. We we worry, as as, um, Pastor Bill was saying, you know, there are are real concerns. So... Um, 
Sometimes I think, yeah, maybe I cope that way. I just, eh, I don't care. <laughs> That's not good. That's not healthy. We need to care. There are real concerns. We, you know, we hope for political change. We hope for laws to change that are going to protect the innocent. We hope for freedom instead of this cancel culture that is developing. We hope for moral change. We hope for leaders to make wise decisions that affect the economy and war. Uh, they're real legitimate concerns. And then as moms, you know, how does this affect my children? How does this affect my grandchildren or great-grandchildren? So we should pray, as Pastor Bill mentioned, we should pray about these things. Yes, be concerned, pray. And yet, Jesus tells us, do not be anxious. Is that possible? Do not be anxious. Let's consider, let's consider the text. Matthew 6. We're going to be reading verses 25 through 34. So follow along as I as I read. Our Lord teaches. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Three times, three times Jesus says, do not be anxious. And we might think, okay, why would Jesus command me to not be anxious? It's not, not as if I woke up this morning and thought, you know, I'm going to, I can't wait to be anxious today. But, oh wait, Jesus commanded me not to, so I won't. It's an emotion. We just, we just are at times. So it seems strange that Jesus would command us about feelings that, that just come upon us. Um, it reminds me of the old Bob Newhart comedy sketch where the woman meets with her counselor and she describes her paralyzing fear of being buried alive in a box. 
And the counselor, Bob Newhart, says, well, you're claustrophobic. Um, I can help you with that. Now, I'm going to give you two words. I want you to take these words and apply it to your, go out and apply it to your situation. Are you ready? She's like, should I write them down? Well, it's only two words. Probably remember it. You ready? Stop it. Uh, and then she describes more and more of her fears and problems, and he responds to each one, stop it. She's like, I don't like this kind of therapy. Um, when Jesus says, do not be anxious, we might misunderstand him to just be saying, stop it. But instead, instead of a command, we need to picture him as a, as a compassionate friend who comes alongside and tenderly says to us, oh, don't be anxious. Let me help you. Let me tell you why you don't need to worry. Jesus wants to get to the root of our problem. He wants to, he wants to do a little surgery of the soul here. And it can be difficult for us, but it requires us to you know, to sit still, to trust him. And it makes me think of, you know, being a small child or being a parent of a small child and getting that splinter that goes really deep under the skin and the parent knows uh, it's just going to get worse unless we get it out of there and you get the needle and you do a little surgery. It requires some obedience to sit still and to trust And so, yes, Jesus is giving a kind of command when he says, do not be anxious. And we need to obey him. But hear him and trust his diagnosis to the problem. Don't just, you know, don't, let's look at the, at what he's saying to us, the diagnosis of the problem, and stop being like the world that just basically puts a band-aid on it by saying, well, it could be worse. That's just a band-aid. That doesn't get to the, it doesn't really help. It doesn't get to the root of the problem. So first, let's ask, what is anxiety? You know, a dictionary definition just doesn't do it justice. Instead of saying that it's a, it's a state of uneasiness and apprehension, uh, let me ask you the question, um, who's familiar with the movie Jaws? Uh, If you are, then you know the music, the theme music of Jaws. You know the dreaded sound of of dun-dun, dun-dun, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And you're looking around for the fin. That's, That's anxiety, this dreaded sound. Anxiety having to do with this. It's just there. Bill talking about the tornado makes me think of when my fence was really awful before we rebuilt it. And only by the sovereignty of God did that stay up at times. I don't understand how it was possible. Every time there was a windstorm, I would just be like, uh, even now, even with a new fence, the wind will come up and it kind of triggers. You have triggers, right? There's this anxiety, it's, it's, it's conditioned by our past traumas. You just expect something to happen. And so you feel this sense of dread. 
And the mental, emotional stress has this physical impact on us. Adrenaline pumps throughout our body, our heart rate, our blood pressure increases, and we're negatively affected on multiple levels, and I'm getting stressed just talking about it. Um, Why? Why would it cause anxiety just to talk about anxiety? Why would it? We're not, you know, it's not as if we're swimming in the ocean right now. It's not something that's actually happening to us. Here's what's at the root of anxiety. Anxiety is not so much about the actual, but the potential. Anxiety is not so much about the actual, but the potential. Jesus sums up his teaching with, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Your actual experience is today, not tomorrow. The essence of anxiety is the desire to control what we can't control. You can't control tomorrow. You might, you might plan. You might be able to execute that plan. You, you, but you also know that by experience, sometimes it doesn't matter what you plan to do. Sometimes circumstances ruin your plans. Anxiety has to do with our wanting power over our circumstances. And Jesus knows this. And so he he comes alongside us and says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Then he gets to the source of our problem, saying, Life is more than food and drink. And who, by worrying, can add a single minute to life? He's saying to us, listen, who's been been keeping your life going for all these years? Did you think it was you and your ability to provide for yourself? And now that you're faced with a threat, you feel out of control, but, but let me help you. Let me help you. You never really had this level of control. Only God does. When the doctor or the boss comes in and gives you bad news, when you watch the news and see things threatening you, suddenly we feel, we feel anxious because we feel out of control. But where, the question is, were you ever really in control? It's the threat that gives you a sense of losing control. But the reality Jesus is getting at is that only God has the power over the number of your days. You've never been able to add even a minute to your life. Jesus says that we're anxious because we don't like the truth that we're utterly dependent upon him. We don't like it speaks to our sin nature. Gets back to Adam and Eve, right? Why did they sin? They wanted control. They wanted to be like God. We feel secure. Okay. Teaching your teenager to drive. We feel secure when we have the wheel. And we feel a lot less, we feel a lot less secure we feel a sense of anxiety. Ah, I'm giving them the power. 
when they're driving. Now, of course, I'm, I'm speaking to our desire for control and that the ultimate reality is God's sovereign control. It's a bit of a mystery, right? It's a bit of a mystery because the answer is not to, to literally remove our hands from the steering wheel and expect God to just do it for us. To literally think Jesus will take the wheel. Um, Unless you have a Tesla, which means Jesus ordained. Never mind. Uh, So we live, we make plans, and are responsible for our real decisions. And we say, as James tells us, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. It's control. Martin Luther seemed to understand this. Uh, one day, he noticed his friend, Philip Melanchthon, really troubled, full of anxiety over the way things were, were going, and here's what Luther said to, here's the counsel that he gave to Philip. He comes alongside and says, let Philip cease to rule the world. <laughs> let Philip cease to rule the world. In other words, Philip, you're anxious because you're trying to be God, and you're not. Trust God to be God. We're anxious because we feel this need to control the uncontrollable. Jesus basically says that if you're full of anxiety, there are are two things that you're doing wrong. So if we want to remove anxiety from our, our lives, there are two things that we need to do right. We have we have wrong thinking and wrong priorities. And we need to have right thinking and right priorities. Jesus says that we need to consider some things. Uh, consider the birds of the air. Some translations say, say look at. But other translations use this word consider. And the Greek word is more along the lines of ponder, think, consider. Think about the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. Jesus is saying, got these examples in nature. You need to think about them. Think. If you're anxious, you're not thinking right. Look at God's creation and think. You're anxious because you're either not thinking or you need to have right thinking or in other words, You need to have faith. Sadly, many people have a wrong definition of faith. They think of faith as the absence of thinking. That it's simply closing your eyes and, uh, what is it? There was an Indiana Jones movie, right? Where he just closes his eyes and steps into the abyss. And, oh, there's a bridge there. Some people think of faith that way. Close your eyes and jump. Makes no sense. It's believing in the absence of evidence. That it's, um, and I really heard a Christian define it this way. They said, faith is like a sixth sense. No, it's like a, it's like a non-sense. <laughs> and people probably have wrong ideas. I think they have wrong ideas about faith because they're looking at Hebrews 11.1. And they're not thinking about the context of Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
they read, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and think that faith is like a kind of, kind of hope, but across your fingers, wish upon a lucky star, I hope this happens kind of hope, and not a biblical hope. And when scripture speaks of our hope, it's, it's an assurance that's based upon the most solid of all certainties, God and the promises that he makes to us. People read conviction of things not seen and think, well, faith is blind. It's believing even though there's no reason to believe. Yet the entire chapter of Hebrews 11 goes on and on and on giving an example of people believing God's promise to them which is very real. And the point made in this great chapter of faith is that even though these people did not experience the fulfillment, they didn't see the fulfillment of God's promise in their life, even though they didn't see the the treasure, they believed God was good for it. And they acted upon his promise. His promise was enough. He was enough. They were thinking They were thinking about who God has revealed himself to be, how he's acted all throughout redemptive history, (laughs) shown himself faithful over and over and over and over. We have all sorts of evidence. They were thinking, thinking about who God is, what he's assured us of. Faith involves thinking. Consider Consider who God is and what he's said. And so Jesus says, look. Look and ponder. Think. You can see the evidence of God's cre- in God's creation. Here are two examples, birds and lilies. So if you, you want to fight anxiety, think. Have faith. Anxiety happens when we just... Think about it. Anxiety happens when you just sit and listen to your heart running off at the mouth. This is what makes you scared. When your heart starts to ramble and react to situations, not thinking before it speaks. You lay in bed, you're unable to fall asleep, saying, what am I going to do? You're listening to your heart instead of speaking to your heart. Instead of reminding yourself of who really is in control and what he's promised you. We need to think and tell ourselves and each other the truth of who God is. Uh, Tell ourselves, tell each other. One time I was obviously distressed internally freaking out. Jen could see it in me. She knew what was going on. Um, And she said, well, she likely had been telling herself over and over and over again. She said, "Uh, Brian, hasn't God been gracious to us? Look at all the times he's cared for us. Look at all the yeses. He'll be with us now. He's sovereign. He's good. Something along those lines. 
We need to speak to our hearts this way. It's biblical to talk to your own heart. It's what the psalmist does. I love Psalm 42 and 43. The psalmist is talking to his heart or soul and saying, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Listening to your heart brings anxiety. Your heart will lead you astray. And so we need to be in the habit of listening to God and talking to our hearts. So, okay, so what do you tell your heart? Jesus gives, he gives us two arguments to tell your heart. One, the, the bird's argument, or the providence of God argument. Two, the grass of the field, lilies of the field argument, or the love of God argument. Providence of God, love of God. Let's consider them. Let's think about the birds. Uh, God is in charge of them. He is a God of providence. And the word providence comes from the word provide. Provideance. The doctrine of the providence of God says that, that everything that happens to you is a part of God's plan. Everything you have is a part of God's provision. Ephesians 1.11 says that everything is according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And of course, Romans 8.28 teaches us that if, if you love and belong to God, he's working all things together for your good. It's providential. Jesus gives us an argument to combat anxiety, one that's centered on the providence of God. So tell it to your heart. Say, heart, everything I have is a part of God's provision. Everything that happens to me is a part of his sovereign plan. He gives me what I need. There's nothing I can do that will add a single minute to what he's determined to give me. We need to look, we need to consider, we need to think about the providence of God. Jesus is saying, until you do, until we do, until we rightly believe this, it's impossible for us to deal with our anxiety. You'll just put a band-aid on it and say, well, it could be worse, and not get to the root of the problem. With anxiety, we've made ourselves too big. We try and make everything revolve around us, and we can't. Tim Keller said that, this is an interesting quote, the minute you stop being at the center of the universe is the day you become the center of the universe. And that sounds a little strange. What he means is there's a sense in which Romans 8.28 puts us at the center. That God is big enough to, to work all things for the good of little old me. So knowing that I can't control things, but knowing that God does for my good, is, it's an anxiety-fighting truth. Uh, he tells this story that's, that's hilarious, I think, and profound. This is back in 1990 when he told this. He said he was preaching, I suppose, saying to his church, 
Um, let me read it for you. Some of you have been very helped by this church. It's only been here for seven or eight months. Do you know why it's here? It's because I had some denominational connections to some people in my Presbyterian denomination that asked me to come here. Why am I in my denomination? Because in my last year of seminary, a man came from England and taught several courses that convinced me that I wanted to go into this particular denomination. Why was he there? Well, it was a close call. He was English, and back then in the early 70s, it was really hard to, for someone to get a visa and to come here and take a job. One day, the dean of my seminary was praying on his knees saying, Oh Lord, how are we going to get this professor here? We need him to teach next semester. One of the students of the seminary was Mike Ford, who was Gerald Ford's son, who was president of the United States. (laughs) Mike Ford came and said, What's the problem? And the dean told him. Mike Ford says, Well, I can talk to someone. Next thing you know, the professor was there. He got the visa. Why was Mike Ford the son of the president? Because Nixon resigned. Why did Nixon resign? Because of Watergate. Well, what's Watergate? Well, one day, a security guard happened to notice a door that was ajar in the Watergate building. Huh, one day. What if he had driven to work by a different route that day? This church would not be here. (laughs) Keller, he continues, when you take yourself out of the center of the universe, you actually become the center of the universe in this sense. All things work together for good for those who love God. There's a certain sense in which when you give yourself over to God and say, I trust you, you begin to realize that everything that's happening, everything that's happening, even Watergate is happening for me. And we find ourselves trusting him, saying, Lord, you know what's best. You know what's best. Oh, I love that passage in Philippians 4. Uh, Pastor Bill reminds us of Philippians 4, 6 is another part that tells us that same phrase, do not be anxious. It goes on to say, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So instead of being anxious, pray. And when you pray, make your requests. And do it with thanksgiving, which is interesting. Why would you thank God ahead of time? Because he's God. And he will give you what's best. Much better than if you were in control. He is our providential God. He knows how to provide for us. Okay, I have a confession to make. When I was young, I'm not sure how young, um, I thought... Jesus' argument about the birds was for the birds. Uh, It didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Birds get shot. 
sometimes by me. Birds run into windows. Birds are smashed dead on the roadside. Other animals eat birds. So what kind of comfort is it to say, God will care for me like he cares for the birds? Have you thought that? Have you struggled with that? I read that, I thought, it only reminds me that I too may end up dead alongside of the road somewhere. And how does this help me? Okay, here's how. Jesus is not saying, don't worry, the birds never suffer, so you never will suffer either. It's not what he's saying. No, he's saying, don't you realize that God is sovereign over everything? Don't you realize that he's, in, he's perfect in all that he does? That he's providentially involved in the smallest of details? Caring for something as insignificant as birds? And he does. And if their daily care is not ultimately a matter of their control if they don't have to worry because their creator is involved with them, then why would you worry as if it's all up to you? Do you really think that you have total control over your life? That'd be a lot of pressure. A weight too great to bear. No, don't be anxious. God is so big and powerful and all-knowing since he cares for all of his creation, and you're more important to him than birds, you don't need to worry. He's involved. He's providential. And what this right interpretation revealed about my wrong one is the problem that Jesus actually corrects. My priorities are wrong. Life is more than food and earthly comforts. Faith tells me to prioritize something greater. And God is in control of not only my earthly provisions, but how those provisions will prepare me for something greater. And so when I pray, I should thank him ahead of time because he doesn't promise to give me what I think is best, but what actually is best. That's why I thank him ahead of time. And that's why we'll thank him for billions upon billions of years. Because we'll see everything. Things that you wonder about now and you don't like so much. and why do you, You're going to see and you're going to thank him. It's perfect. So again, Jesus gives us two arguments of faith that we need to tell ourselves. One argument says he's in control. There's no... There's no one better to trust than God. And the other argument is the love of God argument. Jesus says, your father knows what you need. So you say, heart, you know that God loves you more than you can comprehend. You know that he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows this, the grains of sand on the seashore. Okay. He, knows how many, he knows how many tears have come down your cheeks. 
heart you know that he loves, he loved his own son and that he was willing to give Jesus for your salvation, that he loves you. He's not going to fail to give you all that you need. You argue with yourself. And as you do, you begin to see that anxiety is essentially a daily message to God that says, I don't think you have my best interests in mind. Anxiety is this. Anxiety is saying, Father, you, you emptied heaven of its greatest treasure and you executed your son voluntarily for me and I'm not sure you're going to know how to arrange my week. <laughs> and when you realize what you're saying, you begin to realize you are offending his love. You are questioning and trampling upon God's love for you. So argue with your heart and say, he's my father. He knows what I need. He loves me. To battle anxiety, we need, to, we need right thinking or faith that is used in these arguments with our deceitful hearts. Our problem is wrong thinking and wrong priorities. And we need right thinking and right priorities. And those right priorities get back to Jesus telling us that life is more than food and comfort. You know, if my, if I, my greatest priority was food and comfort, then the bird's argument just doesn't work. Have a higher priority of God's kingdom and your place in it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Right priorities. Right priorities, like we see with Mary and Martha. Okay. Please don't make Mary and Martha about personality types. Uh, and take pride that you're a, you're a doer and feel sorry for Martha and annoyed at those Marys. That's, that's not the point. Don't miss the point. The point is, Martha was wrong. <laughs> Martha was wrong. Her priorities were wrong. And what did her wrong priorities lead to? What do we see? Her wrong priorities led to what? Stress. Jesus said that she was anxious. And he used the same word for anxious as he uses in Matthew 6. She even questioned his love. Lord, don't you care? Mary sat at Jesus' feet. And Jesus came to Martha and said, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is necessary, priority. One thing is necessary. Mary found it. Sit down and focus on me. And we argue, but, but if Martha just sat there too, people would starve. <laughs> really? The party would be ruined. Really? Is the life of the party food and drink and comfort? Or is it Jesus? Jesus needs to be at the center. He needs to be our priority. And if earthly comforts, if if work and money 
or anything else is at the center, is a higher priority, then you're going to be torn up with anxiety. Your anxieties come from wrong priorities. And Jesus says, put me first. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. That means your prayer life, your fellowship with other Christians, your area of ministry, your, your growth in grace. If that comes first, Jesus says, I can guarantee you, your other concerns will go. Because you'll be able to think more and more about me and trust me. Jesus says, trust me. Not just believe in me, but trust me. Listen to what I say. Obey me. Seek first my kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. In one sense, when we look around at our world, there's a lot of uncertainty. And that makes us nervous. It makes us anxious. We want to change it. We want the power, but we don't have it. In another sense, a better sense, we realize that that God is sovereign. He knows. He'll use us and do what's right. He'll provide what we need. And what we need is more than food and earthly comforts. What we need first is Him. And He's already given Himself to us. So instead of running around all stressed out like Martha, we need to start with the one thing that's necessary. We need to, like Mary, keep Jesus at the center. To focus on him. To not only believe in him, but believe him when he says, you don't need to be anxious. Let's pray. Lord, this is hard. This is a a lifelong battle of faith, and I pray that we'll be in it and we'll continue to grow. And as we do, that, that you'd give us hearts and minds that are, that are transformed, that are less anxious. Lord, help us to know our part in this world, to be engaged in a, in a variety of ways, to, to care, to continually pray for the sake of, of your honor and people's good. Help us to be in this world, to care about what's right and good, but to care with right priorities so that we don't live and think as if food and comfort is our aim. Help us to grow in our understanding of what it means to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting that all of these other things, these other concerns will be added to us as you lovingly, as you providentially see fit. Lord, please help me. Help each person here to not be overcome with anxiety, but to be thankful and know your peace within our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.